Holy God. Holy God. You are holy. Holy, holy God. You are worthy of our praise. God, you are so worthy. You are a good God. You are faithful. You are kind. You are generous. You are mindful of us and all that's going on in our lives. Your hand is stretched out to comfort, to heal, to set free. God, you're so good. You are so good. There is none like you, God. There is none like you. Mighty God, holy God. Worthy of all honor, worthy of all praise. Mm. Mm. The Lord let me feel something during worship, and I just feel like I'm supposed to share that here and minister into that before I do anything else. I just felt like the Lord let me feel what somebody, or maybe it's many of you, I have no idea, are feeling right now. <clears throat> and that is feeling like God is so far away. It's not that you don't know him. It's not that you haven't experienced his love in countless ways. It's just that right now, he has felt so far away. And I asked the Lord, why? Why, Lord? If they know you so well, why? How could that even be? And I felt like what he showed me was there's circumstances in your life. And they're difficult, they're painful, they're confusing, they're disturbing. They seem insurmountable. And because of all of that, they have drawn your attention. And without your even realizing what has happened, you've shifted your attention from his face to your circumstances. And it's not that your circumstances aren't real. It's simply that he is more real. He is greater than your circumstances. He has everything that you feel is lacking. He has every answer that you feel you can't find. He is what you need. And I really felt that I heard him say, if you would begin now to shift your gaze, that's not being, that's not being irresponsible. Hmm. Oh, that's being wise. Because truly you don't have the answers. You don't have the resources. You personally don't have what's needed in this situation. And so if you look at the situation with that mindset, it's so easy to fall into a place of feeling helpless. And then before you know it, it just feels like God's so far away. He says, but I'm right here with you. I'm right here. I haven't left you. I haven't forgotten. I know, and I'm here. Look at me. So I want you right now, whoever has been looking at those circumstances, I just want you to like put them in a box. Just put the circumstances in a box, whatever it is. Put it in a box. Close the box. Now, with the box closed... I want you in your mind's eye to look around and see, Jesus, where are you? Because he's here. He's here. And as soon as you spot him, give him the box. <laughs> give him the box. Oh, it's not too heavy for him. You're not going to ruin his day. He's here for the box. <laughs> give him the box. Oh, oh. And as you release the box to him, now I want you to look into his eyes. Show. 
Just look into his eyes. <laughs> How? Because in his eyes, how? You're going to see everything you need. Right now, you're starting to feel it. Hope is being restored in you. What you felt like was so hopeless, you see coming from his eyes a message. I got it covered. I've got it covered. I am with you. I am for you. There is nothing that can separate you from my love. How? In his eyes, you see how powerful he is, how good he is, oh, how faithful he is, and how madly in love with you he is. <clears throat> He's not too busy, is he? Uh, oh. He's not so consumed with the problems halfway around the world that he can't possibly give you his time and attention. That's not who he is. He says, I'm here for you. Right now, I'm here for you. Look at me. <sighs> Let me breathe fresh life into you. Let the assurance of my love for you fill your heart anew. Look deeper into my eyes. <laughs> oh, when you look deeper into his eyes, you can't miss the sparkle that you see. And then the light bulb goes off in your mind and you realize his eyes are sparkling because he's looking at me. And that's the truth. His eyes light up when they connect with you. They light up. Imagine that. You. One out of a billion plus people on this planet. Six billion, sorry, six billion plus people on this planet. And when he looks at you, his eyes light up. You do that to him. You have that effect on him. Shoo. And when you see that, you know that you know that you know He's got it handled. Oh, he is for you, not against you. And he will marshal every resource of heaven for you, for your benefit. You matter that much to him. You're that precious to him. Oh. You see, when he looks at you, what he really sees is his creation. I know there's stuff that's happened. I know there's stuff you've done. And it's not that he doesn't see any of that. It's that that's not where his eyes stop. He looks to the very depth and he sees this is my treasure. The one that I imagined from before the foundation of the earth. The one that I thought about, thought deeply, thought carefully about, and said yes. And you know, when he said yes to you, it was better than you getting the good housekeeping seal of approval. You got the God seal of approval. He said, yes, I want you. Yes, yes, yes. And I will forever be with you. I will forever be yours and you are mine. So I bless you now. 
with the knowledge of that reality. I bless you now with a peace in your heart. I bless you with joy in your spirit, rising up, rising up, rising up. The joy that comes from knowing him, from being in his presence. Oh, and just knowing that he's in charge. He's in charge and he's trustworthy. He's in charge and he's for you. He's in charge and he finds you delightful, irresistible. How? And calls you his treasure, his beloved. You are the desire of his heart. So I bless you now to breathe that truth in. To receive that into the very depths of your being. How? I bless you in Jesus' name. Woo! Okay, I don't know who you were, but I just thank you for getting to be a part of what God wanted to do in your life this morning. <clears throat> that was fun for me. <laughs> oh. We just sometimes need a reminder of that, don't we? We just kind of need to refocus. It's like when I get up in the morning and I don't have my contacts in yet, and I just kind of go, nah, 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 nah. and I make my way to the counter and Put that first one in and, ah, yes, things start to come into focus. Then I put that second one in and it's all clear. Far away, close up, it's all clear and it's good and it's yes. Yeah. Wow. Well, we are honored to be here with you. We are honored that you're here with us. And been looking forward to this a lot. We go a lot of places, and we have a lot of places that we'd love to go. We go to a lot of places that we've never been before, so we don't really know what to expect, but we kind of know what to expect when we come here. <laughs> and it's all good. <laughs> it's so good. And I know that not all of you are from Blazing Fire. In fact, how many of you are not from Blazing Fire Church? Yeah. Welcome. <laughs> You know what to expect here, too. That's why you came, huh? I tell you, we, we just owe a huge debt to Blazing Fire, to Brent and Suzanne and all the leadership and all the faithful people who are a part of Blazing Fire because you all really, really create a habitation for the Lord. And you get to carry it with you. So you bring it into this building. You, you just bring it wherever you go, whatever you're doing. You carry it with you. And you are changing the atmosphere. You are world changers. And to get to be with you all is always a delight. We love it. Huh? You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, my goodness. <clears throat> um, is Holly here this morning, Holly Miller? She was here? She just went out for a moment. Well, I'll just go ahead and say this now. She wins. I'm confident she wins the award for coming the farthest for this meeting. <laughs> she came here from Austria. Yeah. <laughs> so if you don't know Holly, when she comes in, I'll embarrass her and just say, and here's Holly, and everybody just like this. <laughs> just love on her. She's a great woman of God and has lived over there how many, 20, 30 years over there? I'm not sure. A long time serving the kingdom over there and faithfully and diligently and powerfully and lovingly. And so it's good to have her here with us. <clears throat> so angels and miracles. I mean, who would not want to come, right? You don't, you don't know what's going to happen. You might not know the people, but angels and miracles. You just got to find out. Okay, God, what are you up to, right? So I, I looked in the dictionary for a, you know, an actual definition of a miracle. What is a miracle? Because how many of us either say or hear people say so frequently, oh man, that's gonna take a miracle. That, or I really need a miracle. So what are, we, what are we really talking about when we talk about a miracle? So the definition in the dictionary of a miracle 
is a, that a miracle is an extraordinary event in the physical world that surpasses all known human or natural powers and is ascribed to a supernatural cause. So it's something that happens out there in the natural world, but it exceeds anything that is possible to happen in the natural world. <clears throat> and so when it happens, we have to ascribe it to some kind of supernatural cause. And here's Holly! Yay! <laughs> here to, to realize that you have received the award for traveling the farthest to this meeting. Yes. <laughs> so a miracle, an event, something that occurs in the natural realm that actually exceeds the possibilities of the natural realm, it says that such an event is considered as a work of God. All right, we know God can do miracles. We hope God will do miracles. But I wonder how often do we really expect that God will do a miracle? Or maybe to even make it more specific, how often do we expect he'll do a miracle in my life? You know, maybe it's easier to believe it for you than it is to believe it for me. I can believe that God would heal you, but is God going to heal me? I can believe that God would provide for you, but... Is God going to provide for me? Is he going to do a miracle in my life? And so, why is that? And, and I realize that everybody in this room has a belief in the supernatural realm. Or at least I'm assuming that. Or somebody really dragged you to this meeting, didn't they? I mean, angels and miracles... <laughs> Or you're hoping desperately that there's such a thing. But when we expect something, we actually position ourselves for it. When we hope for something, we might be much, much more passive in anticipation of that. When we expect, we actually take action. We position ourselves. So my mother has always wanted me to just kind of be front and center here and there and, you know, get whatever there is to be gotten. And so years and years ago when Bill and I came out here on vacation, we still lived in Texas at that point, my folks had moved out to San Diego <clears throat> and we went to visit them. And my mother said, you know, she's got all these things planned for us to do, and one of them is we're going to go to SeaWorld. And we had to get to the particular show that we were going to go to at SeaWorld, which was the Shamu show, Shamu the Killer Will. And we had to get to the show early because my mother was expecting that I would be the one chosen to go and be the person that leans over this huge tank and Shamu comes, you know, catapulting out of the water to land one on you. But my mother wasn't just hoping in an abstract kind of way. She had been to the show before. She knew the general area that they would go to pick somebody out to be that volunteer. And she positioned me on the aisle seat in, in her opinion, the perfect row. And sure enough, when they said, okay, now we're going to need a volunteer, and somebody starts going, kind of walking up and down, and he stops right at me and he says, you, ma'am, would you like to be? Actually, he probably said miss at that point. I don't know when it changed to ma'am, but ah, <laughs> it did. <laughs> but at that point, he probably said, miss, would you like to be our demonstration? And my mother's, yes. But you see, she was, she was expecting that I was going to get to do that. And so she positioned me to be able to receive that. When we're expecting things from God, we actually position ourselves differently than if we're just kind of hopelessly hoping for something from God.
there's a, what the Lord showed me to be, it, and I'm not saying this is actually what it looks like, it's just that he helps me to understand things by speaking in ways that I can relate to and I can understand. So he showed me like this thick blanket. I mean, it's like it was several inches thick blanket over the Western world. And it was a blanket of unbelief that he was showing me. Bill and I have been all over the world. And we know that there are places in the world where people do not have the unbelief that the Western world is under. And even you and I, who believe in that supernatural realm and experience that supernatural realm, can still be affected by that blanket of unbelief. And I realize when I'm being affected by it, I realize when I go to pray for someone and they get healed, and my internal, I'm learning to cover up the external, but my internal response is, wow, really? Did you really get healed? <laughs> Where's that coming from? Why wasn't I going with an expectancy that they would be healed? I'm affected, and I realize I can be, un I can be affected by that blanket of unbelief. And it's really important that even if we are not people who are so much living in a place of unbelief, but are more living in a place of, I believe, God, I believe, and I expect. It's still important that we understand why, why is that blanket even there? And what I find is that too many people have a misunderstanding. They think it's because, well, we live in the scientific age, and so science has proved this, that, and the other, and has um, made discoveries about how things work, how the physical laws operate. And so we're not those superstitious people who believe in unseen things. We're scientific, not superstitious. And yet the reality is the belief or the lack of belief in that unseen realm did not happen because of scientific advance. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. Scientific advance happened because of unbelief in that spiritual unseen realm. And it actually goes back all the way to the 1200s. And I'm going to give you just a little bit of a history lesson here because it's important to understand this. And even if you don't remember all of this, you're going to know in your knower that this is true. And you might not be able to recite it to somebody else, but you're going to know in your knower. And we're actually going to go back way before the 1200s. We're going to go back, before, we're going to go back to 300 B.C., to a man named Plato, that you've all heard his name. Whether you know very much about him or not, you've heard his name, Plato. <clears throat> Plato was a philosopher of the day. He was a learned man. He was an inquisitive man. He was an open man. And it was amazing to me to discover the revelation that he received from God 300 years prior to Jesus coming to earth. He was not a Jew, not, a, not an Israelite. He was not a people of the covenant of God with the Israelites. He was a man that God chose and gave revelation to. Don't ever make the mistake of thinking that unbelievers can't hear from God. I mean, if, if unbelievers can't hear from God, then how's that going to work? Of course unbelievers can hear from God. And the revelation that Plato got was truly phenomenal. Just to put it in a little capsule, he got the revelation about knowledge and reality. And what he was actually looking for because of circumstances in his own life was he was looking for certain or unchanging reality because so much had changed. There had been so much upheaval, societal upheaval, personal upheaval, and he just wanted desperately for, to know that something is not changing. And, and as he's pursuing that line of thought, he hears from God. 
God begins to speak to him about this unseen realm and that in this unseen realm, <clears throat> there's unchanging reality. And we get knowledge as human beings here on planet Earth. We get knowledge from the seen world and the unseen world. We get knowledge through the seen world, through our five senses, and then we reason about those things that we've perceived, and we get knowledge. We get knowledge from the unseen realm through artistic inspiration, through healing, through love, and through prophetic utterance. And Plato said, the greatest of those is love. And he was talking about a divine encounter of love. Before Jesus, the man's not even a person of the covenant with the Israelites. And he's hearing this from God. And so he developed a whole philosophical way of thinking about knowledge. Knowledge from the natural realm, knowledge from the unseen the supernatural, the spiritual realm. And this knowledge is certain because this realm is fixed. Well, interestingly, Jesus comes and Jesus does miracles. He heals. He speaks prophetically. And where'd I go? He is love. And he talks about the greatest commandment is love. And then he, he gives a new commandment. And that commandment is love. Even as I have loved you, love one another. And then the early church. Those first followers. They get filled with the Holy Spirit. And they speak prophetically. And they heal. And the love of God fills them and pours through them. And the church, early church fathers recognized that in Plato's philosophy, there was solid ground that went throughout the known world, an acceptance of reality and knowledge that could be the philosophical foundation of Christianity. It wasn't that they were trying to incorporate incorporate Christianity into Plato's teachings. It was that Plato's teachings supported and gave a place for people to understand, make sense of the experiences that they were having and that they were seeing. And so for the first several hundred years of the church's life, that philosophical understanding was the basis of Christian thought. There's an unseen realm that we're encountered by and that we encounter. And from it flows healing. From it flows philosophy, I mean, um, prophecy. And from it flows love. And things that transcend the possibilities of this natural world are released through encounters with that unseen realm. Well, without going into any depth of history at all, I mean, this is just like shoo, across the top of it. But the church started expanding, and it started moving westward. And as it's moving westward, they're leaving behind the connection because, remember, they don't have internet. They don't tweet with one another. <laughs> they're, they're leaving behind home base. And they're encountering a world out here that hasn't had the experience they've had, hasn't had the understanding that they have, a pagan world, a world that is very much grounded, a people that are very much grounded in this natural world. And the Christians, through those centuries, began to weaken in their knowledge of Plato's philosophy and that understanding of the encounter with this unseen realm, and they become more and more tied to the seen realm. And then in the 1200s, it really reached kind of a crisis point. 
It was to the point where, well, here's what happened. The Turks began invading. And as the Turks came in, they brought with them an Aristotelian philosophy. Now, Aristotle was a student of Plato. I mean, he was an actual student of Plato's. And he was a brilliant man himself. And where Plato's concern had been to find certain reality, unchanging reality, for Aristotle, the driving need was to find unchanging knowledge. Yeah, you can see the problem already. Because revelation that comes to us, it's not that, not, it's not that the focus of it changes, it's just that it develops. There's developing revelation that, that is given. And so what we know today will be increased upon by what we learn tomorrow. And he's looking for something, knowledge that's not changing. And the Turks had adopted an Aristotelian philosophy. And they were bringing that in. And bottom line, what that was, was that the highest form of knowledge is the knowledge that we get through reason. <clears throat> Aristotle himself did not deny the reality of spiritual encounters. It's just that that wasn't the focus that he needed. He needed the focus of something that was going to be unchanging. We can get to knowledge that's unchanging. And I'm going to get that knowledge that's unchanging, that highest form of knowledge, through reasoning. Interestingly, very shortly before he died, no, 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 sorry, that's Thomas Aquinas. I'll get to him. Okay. So Thomas Aquinas, the church father of the Middle Ages, brilliant man, godly man, and he's got all these students from the university coming to him saying, we want to learn what these Turks are bringing in. We want this knowledge. And he realized that there what seemed to him to be the, there was the very real possibility of just kind of losing the church, as it were. And so what he did was he brought in Aristotelian philosophy and incorporated it into church doctrine. And since the middle 1200s, kind of the cornerstone of thought in the church has been that we know God through reason. I know. That's not an experiential knowing, is it? That's a rational knowing about, as if God is an object to be known, but not a person to know. And any of you who are philosophically minded, like study the philosophers, any of you who are theologically minded, study the theologians, go back and start reading some of the things you've read before and you will realize there is an unexamined assumption on their part that we know God through reason. It's absolutely unexamined. It's probably unrealized by most, if not all, of them. It just came down through the centuries. Now, interestingly, what I almost said about Aristotle, but this is, that's not true. This is true about um, Thomas Aquinas. Very shortly before his death, he had this profound encounter with God. Yeah. And he said and wrote at that point, Everything I have written up to this point is as straw compared to what I have experienced. But what the church held on to since the 1200s was we know God by reason. That's why it is that when Azusa Street happened, when revival started pouring out of Toronto and all that went on in between you know, those hundred years there, people have looked at so many Christians who have described experiences they've had as if, oh my gosh, 
you need to be in a straitjacket locked up in a padded cell. And people don't even realize why they believe what they believe. They think they believe what they believe because of what science has shown us about the physical realm. And so we don't have to be superstitious people who come up with these fairy tale type stories to explain things. When the reality is we had the thrust in the scientific direction that we've had because there was a discarding of any kind of pursuit of the spiritual realm, at least in a meaningful way that was going to impact society. There has never been a time throughout the history of the Church of Jesus Christ that there have not been those who are spirit-filled. You know, and when I say that, what I mean by that is people who have that encounter with God and a demonstration through their lives of that supernatural presence of God. There's never been a time throughout the history of the church that there haven't been pockets of that, but it's been such a tiny little minority of the church, and those people have been persecuted. I mean, literally, people were burned and boiled in oil and strung up and heads cut off because of their descriptions of their encounters with God because, because the belief was we know God by reason. God doesn't want to be known by reason. God wants to be known relationally, experientially. But we, because we are in the Western world that has developed this line of thinking, we've all come under that umbrella, under that blanket of unbelief. And we're all affected to one degree or another. The exciting thing to me that's happening is as we are stepping out more and more, and I'm, I'm, we, I mean we, all of us, everyone in this room, as we're stepping out more and more into that realm of the supernatural, into that realm of angels and miracles, as we offer to pray for someone, as we, you know, we, we, as we ask God for the miracles to manifest, we are poking holes in that blanket of unbelief and it's getting shredded it's getting shredded it's getting shredded and the more shredded it gets the more of heaven touches earth on a consistent basis and that's why you see places like blazing fire church like reading like others across the country and around the world where enough people for enough time have said, we're going after God, we're going after his kingdom, we're going after all that is our birthright, we're going after it, we're not going to sit back just wishing it would happen, we're going for it, we're positioning ourselves for it, and they've been poking those holes, that's why we see so much more of heaven invading earth, or at least that's part of why we see so much more of heaven invading earth, because we're destroying that blanket of unbelief, but there's been this huge blanket of unbelief. <laughs> yeah, is that helpful to know? <laughs> Good. You know, it's, um, I think it's probably impossible, short of experience or revelation, to go beyond what we know in terms of imagining things. It's either going to be experience or revelation that's going to take us beyond what we know today. But we can go backwards. So um, in the 1800s, there was a guy named Eb Edwin Abbott, Englishman, and he wrote a book called Flatlanders. And it's, a, it's actually a societal satire. It's kind of amusing. But in it, he describes this two-dimensional world, the Flatlanders. And so they're living in a flat land. There's not a dimension of depth. Everything's just flat. I mean, we can't even imagine because even a piece of paper has a depth to it. But there's no depth. There's just like this one line, and that's it. <clears throat> and so imagine, here's little Freddie Flatlander, <laughs> happy little citizen of Flatland, living his little flat life. <laughs> and a being from a three-dimensional world enters in. Now, first of all, they can't see like the upness of this three or the outness of this three-dimensional being. All they can see is what's right there in their little two-dimensional place. So this three-dimensional being comes and being a bit mischievous decides to pick up Freddy. And all of a sudden, Freddy has disappeared from sight. Where'd Freddy go? 
Freddy vaporized. <laughs> Where's Freddy? And then puts it down here. And now these people are going, who's that? And how'd they get here? They just appeared. What's going on? And to the three-dimensional person being, it's not a mystery. But to the two-dimensional being, it's completely incomprehensible. George Otis Jr., probably a lot of you are familiar with that name, read maybe his book or books, seen transformation videos. He wrote a book called Twilight Labyrinth. In it, his target audience was Christians who struggle with the concept of a spiritual realm that we actually interact with. And he's, he's moving in the book towards the whole concept of spiritual warfare. And so he knows that he needs to somehow connect these earthly-minded Christians to a reality that's greater than just the natural realm. And so he, he actually brings some scientific stuff into this book, and it's fascinating to read. He, it's been a long time since I've read it, but I think that when I read it, he was talking about quantum physicists believing that there were at least six dimensions of reality. <clears throat> so there's time and there's space and there's the three dimensions of space so that would be a four-dimensional reality. So that'd be two more dimensions. Wow, that's pretty cool. What's going on in those dimensions? <laughs> then I was talking to um, a, a physicist mm, maybe a couple of years ago now and I said, so, do you know anything about this? Oh, yeah. Well, is that really what you guys think? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and, and not just kind of like la-la-la-la-la think, but like there's, there's a basis for your thinking this? Well, yeah, we're scientists. I said, so, so really you all think there might be like two extra dimensions? He said, no. And I'm oh, crushed. He said, no, we think there's at least 16. <laughs> I know, <laughs> at least 16 more dimensions. Now, if we're thinking about little Freddy moving from being moved out of his two-dimensional world by a three-dimensional being, we can't even wrap our minds around us living in a four-dimensional world and somebody from a 16 or what would that be, like 20-dimensional world coming and doing stuff in our dimensions? And yet, God created it all, right? And he occupies it all, right? And he's sovereign over it all, right? <laughs> so he can just pick us up and move us. And how do you think people get transported? Not that it's happened to me, but I'm sure asking, because I believe it's real. How does water get turned into wine? How does a little boy's lunch become a banquet with leftovers for thousands how does Peter step out and walk however many few steps it was, but it's more than I've taken walking on water? <laughs> How are the dead brought back to life? How is a tumor just eradicated like that? How do blind eyes just open because somebody spits on them? Or someone just says, eyes open. How do deaf ears hear again when bones have been removed? How do broken bones get knit together in an instant? The cast comes off and full ability is restored. We call it a miracle because it, it, it exceeds anything that we understand to be possible in the natural realm. But the natural realm is such a tiny little part of the whole realmness of reality. <laughs> and our God occupies all of it. And he's sovereign over all of it. We don't even know all the laws of the natural realm yet. He knows all the laws of all the realms. He made them. They were his idea. And he's not subject to them. They're subject to him. 
And so when we start wrapping our heads around that, we realize, man, I ought to be expecting a miracle all the time. I ought to be living in that place of positioning myself to receive it. Because it's there to be had by a God who loves to give, who's not stingy. He's so generous. He doesn't tease us. <sighs> he meets us where we need to be met. Of all the people in the world, we ought to be the ones, and I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about me, and you can join me in this, but we ought to be the ones that are the miracle workers. Because he lives in us. He just wants to get out, doesn't he? It's like, let me loose. Come on, I can do it. Believe me. Open yourself. You know, it's interesting. Jesus doesn't talk about doing miracles. Did you ever realize that? He didn't say, okay, now I'm going to do a miracle. Focus here. Pay attention. Miracle. No, it's, it's not what he says. Matthew chapter 4, just to make this a legal meeting. <laughs> Matthew chapter 4, after Jesus has been baptized in the River Jordan and spent time in the wilderness and <clears throat> returned from that time of trial and testing, it says, full of the Spirit and power. From that time, verse 17, it says, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then you go down to verse 23, and he went all about Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every infirmity among the people. He didn't say, I'm going to do miracles. He's saying, my kingdom's here. Change the way you're thinking. I mean, we know they were expecting, um, they were expecting Someone, a human being from the line of David to come who would reestablish Israel as a rightful sovereign nation. They were waiting for that kind of king, for Israel to be that kingdom again, not under Roman occupation. And Jesus says, change the way you're thinking. You know that's what repent means ultimately, right? Because it comes from the two Greek words metanoia, meta meaning transformation like the butterfly kind of thing caterpillar to butterfly, and noia having to do with knowledge, thinking your mind. So change the way you're thinking is what he's saying. John the Baptist was saying change the way you're thinking in terms of being righteous. Jesus is saying change the way you're thinking about the kingdom to come. Don't be looking for an earthly king to do earthly things. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. However many dimensions it is, here it is, guys. We're not limited by gravity. We can walk on water. We're not limited by death. We can resuscitate, revive, bring back to life. We're not limited, in effect, is what he's saying. My kingdom's here, so change the way you're thinking so you don't miss out on it. My kingdom is here. So he, he began to preach the good news of the kingdom. Well, what great news is it that the poor find out there's someone who will provide for me? The sick find out there's someone here to heal me. The oppressed find out there's someone here to set me free. The mentally unstable find there's someone here to just make me whole again. 
the outcasts find out there's someone who's including me. Change the way you're thinking because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? It's at hand. So what he's saying is, it's not like in the next village. You don't have to get on your donkey and ride as fast as you can and hope it doesn't leave before you get there. He's saying it's right here. You can actually reach out and grab it. And people did. Blind Bartimaeus did. Blind Bartimaeus expected a miracle. He positioned himself for it. He stood on the side of the road and he's yelling, Son of David, don't pass me by. He can't see. He doesn't know exactly where he is, but he knows he's in the crowd that's waiting for him. And he's just going to get right there on the front so Jesus can't miss him. And he's going to yell as loud as he can. He's going to get his attention. No matter what else is going on, Jesus is going to know about him. He positioned himself to receive what he knew God could give. He was expecting a miracle. How? Show. We don't even have to reach out. <laughs> the greatest truth is not that the kingdom is at hand. It's within us. It's within us. How? Oh, if we've said, Jesus, I need a Savior, and I believe that you paid for my sins, something I can't do for myself, so I confess those sins to you and I receive what you purchased for me. Then we receive the Holy Spirit. And the kingdom of heaven is within us. <laughs> Miracle workers. I mean, seriously. We're called to be miracle workers because the kingdom is within us. All those dimensions. Man, all of a sudden I feel big in a really good way. Big. I'm not just a three-dimensional being. I've got I don't know how many dimensions going on inside of me. <laughs> oh, and I got the king of all those dimensions inside of me. By the power of his Holy Spirit inside of me. Oh, do you see why we had to put that stuff in the box at the beginning and get rid of it? We can't be looking at that. I'm not saying that that doesn't exist. I'm saying, so what? He's here and he's greater. And he's got what we need. And as we put the attention on him, so we focus on him as we look in his eyes. Whoa, we actually access that kingdom. We actually somehow get our hands on those dimensions. We have within us then the possibility of anything. Nothing is impossible. I know nothing is impossible. How? I really think I really think it's about positioning ourselves to receive it. And I think sometimes we just get positioned and we don't even know it because God loves us so much. He doesn't want us missing out. But I think that we can be a lot more intentional and be a lot more kingdom-happening people by being intentional about positioning ourselves. So, you know, I don't know what miracle you need in your life today. It might be a financial miracle. might be a marriage miracle. might be a different kind of relational miracle. might be a health miracle. 
I don't know, but I know the one who does. And I know that within his dimensions, there's abundant provision for all of it. And so what I'm going to do this morning, as if I've not done anything so far, but what I'm going to do this morning <clears throat> so I'm going to tell you a story. And some of you have heard this, but I suspect the great majority of you have not. And anyway, a good story is always worth hearing again. <clears throat> 